Help us to grow in the knowledge of your dear Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to remain firm in the confession of your blessed word. Give us love to be of one mind and serve one another in Christ. Energized by your Holy Spirit, bless us, Holy Father. Amen. All right, uh, a couple of things. How you doing? It's good to have John Klanig. It's good to be back and see you. Everything going okay? You all okay? So, you know, it was a little, was a little weird because, um, you know, I was going to talk to you about $5 million, and then, of course, what pushes it over? The mic boxes. I'm like, whoa, the mic boxes plus $5 million. That could be too much for you to take. So, uh, and then Licht is down there. Poor Licht. Did anybody go see? Where is he? He's a... He's a Look at him. I mean, he's a handsome man. He's willing to serve you. You didn't have enough business, though, did you? We got one. We got one. Big fish. Woo, big fish. Oh, man, it's better than that. So here's the thing. I was thinking about this this morning, about talking to you about, about money. I'm just, but then I was thinking, in this congregation, it's kind of weird not to talk about money because it's just one of the DDO things. I had a long chat with John Kleining about um, Acts 2, you know, with Christ Scripture Prayer, the Divine Service, all that. He goes... Where it says they devoted themselves to the community. He said, you know, this is code. I'm like, tell me more, Father. And he said, uh, people, part of the reason they were in fear and awe is because the Christians were so weird. You would normally make individual sacrifices for your family, and you were only concerned about yourself. And he said that, that the Greek there is actually talking about giving alms for the poor. When it says they devoted themselves to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, um, to gathering together uh, in the breaking of the bread... You know, he, he, I mean, it was good to hear because he said, yeah, that's exactly what that is. It would have been bringing alms for the community, which would have been very weird. Normally, you just brought money to buy off the gods. Anyway, here's the short course, and I'm going to give it to you because um, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have the staff we used to do, so we're always a little challenged about how much we can do. Two, when we used to do a capital campaign around here and just talk about this, you know, we could spend forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on that. And in my heart of hearts, I actually asked myself, are you at a place where I need to spend fifty thousand dollars to tell you that you should tithe and give alms? I'm not sure it's a good investment. However, that would mean that more of you should go see Mr. Licht, because if you don't, then I have to spend money someplace else. This is just like your parents playing your birthday present off against your Christmas present. There's there's no difference here. So here's what you need to know. And part of the reason this concerns the governing board and the pastors is, you know, things are pretty good, but last year, for whatever reason, you took off October and May. And everything is just like clipping along, clipping along, and then nobody gives any money in October, nobody gives any money in May. We're like, who are you people, and why do you do this to us, right? Because I don't know if you know, but we still have the lights on in May. Yeah, and in October, we still use water. So... Um, <laughs> You know, part of it is that we should talk about this, but just you should kind of get it in your head, and we probably are going to have to figure out a different way because we don't have Martha anymore. You know, we don't have um, a financial person. We got, I mean, we're pretty skinny in terms of staff, and older, richer people are retiring and giving less, which means you younger, getting richer people should get busy seeing luck. I'm just being serious with you because somebody's got to pay the heck Social Security, for goodness sakes. Uh, just thought I wanted to get that in there. Uh, since the presidential candidates aren't getting it in there. Anyway, um, <laughs> hey, why bother with that? Uh, never mind. Uh, hold, hold on just a sec. And then, um, so, so partly, what I, partly what I want to do is just sort of um, see if we can do this. Just kind of little facts for you. We pay $22,000 a month in mortgage. We will for the next 30 years. It would be nice if we paid off that and had $22,000 a month to spend on other things. That would be nice, you see. It's kind of the next last step. You know, before I'm done here, 
I would like to get that all cleaned up for the next guys and have it just, you know, be all sort of settled in so they could do fabulous things and actually not have to think about it. The only way to um, not to think about it is to think about it, though, right? Right? The only way not to talk about money is to talk about it. So um, we're probably going to figure it out in a different way, uh, partly because you're more mature, partly because you're used to it, partly because I can talk to you like this. But I really want to encourage you. I know that some of you, um, you know, may be a little nervous about hooking your bank account to our bank account and all that. Here's the reason to do it. We just upgraded our software because our software crashed and our server crashed, so we were forced to it. But if you give money directly from your bank account to our bank account, it goes from your bank account to our bank account right into our books, right into QuickBooks, and nobody ever has to touch it, which means it cuts down the amount of time that we have to spend, and it increases the accuracy a ton, and it smooths out this October-May phenomenon when you decide to go to the Bahamas and leave us here by ourselves, right? Please don't do that, right? Because, you know, so there you go. We'll probably think about it. We've got to get it figured out. I don't know how we'll figure it out. It's probably not going to be a big splash. It'll probably sound something more like the pastor calling you and saying, uh, Hex, that $5 million check, you heard about it in the sermon. Chop, chop. It'll be more like that, okay? So, um, all right. Now, anything else? Yes, Marianne. I know, I don't trust him either. I don't let him into my bank account, I'll tell you that, Stephen. You are exactly right, Mrs. King. There you go. Hey, the rule of 72, okay? Think about it. Here we go. Down to the rule of 72. There you go. All right. So thank you very much. Yeah, try to just, mostly it just, uh, it makes us, it lets us think about other stuff. All right. So anyway, here you go. Um, don't make me give my speech about, I don't know if you remember this speech that I gave to you once. Do you remember the speech I gave you right about seven into eight when I said, you're all rich now and you should give money before the market crashes? People went, pff, 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 the market will never crash. I'm like, then Jesus vindicated me, 47%. I'm just saying, if the Deutsche Bank derivative books is bigger than the gross national product of all the countries in the world, you might want to cash out and give it to St. John. It's just a better investment, okay? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? However, I'm going to remind you that I said it when I say it again next time, okay? So just, just, just remember that. All right, you good to go? So I'm trying to get you to think about the creed a little bit and having a little bit of, of joy in saying the creed. And... Part of the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to own it. This is the story of your life. This is the story of your church. And sometimes people are against it because it's formulaic. Sometimes people are against it because it seems stiff. Sometimes you have to memorize it and you resent that. But honest to God, people died for this creed. You know, Athanasius on his fourth exile trying to work this out. It's just a little cloud. It will pass, right? Exiled four times on the way to getting this right. Which is, a, you know, we can't even really conceive of that anymore. So I'm trying to give you an experiential view of the creed, and I tried to start last time we talked with just this notion that Jesus is tender with you. Jesus loves you, and he cares about you. And, you know, he's trying to draw you in to a life that you may not always pay attention to. And then there was the little quiz about Buddha and Madonna. And the reason to do that is, if you don't say over and over again what's true, if you don't say over and over again what's true, you actually forget what's true. 
or in a pinch you can't remember what's true, or people around you can't remember. And if you don't believe me, read American history for the last 50 or 60 years, okay? Because people have no sense of what's true. In fact, truth doesn't really exist anymore, right? Um, it is, everything is very pragmatic, very utilitarian, and whatever advances my cause, it's, it's remarkable, you know, in this season, whatever advances my cause is fair game. And you notice that people don't say, on both sides, when things get exposed, you can talk about emails or leaked conversations from both sides or Trump's tax returns this morning or blah, blah, blah. You can think about any of that kind of stuff. What's interesting is people don't ever say, that's offensive because it's a lie as in it breaks, you know, what, there's objective truth that we run against that. No, what people always talk about is, it hurts my cause. And that, of course, you see, was the great, that was the great trouble of Marxism. At the end of the day, this is, the, this is why Christians are so rebellious against that and why people are nervous when the Catholics get too close to that in, in liberating theology. Because at some point, at some point, if you don't really believe that there's a God, you don't actually believe that there's ethics. And when you don't believe there's ethics, you can do whatever you want to other people because they're in the way. And that's the difference. And that's the history. That's the, those are the last years of the Enlightenment, right? When there is no God and we will fix everything, we will be masters of nature, we will be masters of other people, we will be masters of ourselves. The next step is, if you stand in my way, I can do whatever I want to you, which is why there are gulags and you know, prisons where people never emerge, and genocides, and ethnic cleansing, and just turn on and watch what's happening in Syria. You know, just watch what's happening. The, and, and it is laughable when people stand up and say, that is unethical. Because the follow-up question should always be, where do you get your ethics? Because I, like I would just like to know the answer to that. Just define the good for me. You know, in the way that Plato did, for example, that would be acceptable to me the good, the true, and the beautiful. Just tell me where that comes from. You see, and when everything is self-defined, at the end of the day, I can do anything I want to you because it's good for me. And that makes me God and you not God, right? So you just have to pay attention to this. The creed is in great rebellion against all of that. We won't get to, you know, I believe in God the Father yet. There's a couple of things we need to talk about. I don't know how we'll do it exactly. It'll, it'll come, you know, in some sense like... Um, we do need to talk about, I think probably you have a great nervousness, or if you're normal in America, or evangelicals have a great nervousness, especially about science and how people think. And, you know, it's just like, I was talking to, uh, which, and I'll talk to you, but I don't even know if I'll talk to you that long about it, because it's not that hard to get past. Um, there's, a, there's a Lutheran called Haman who gave, even Kant said, that guy's found the flaw in my arguments. He's kind of buried in history. But he said, you know, if you only can know by reason, you know, religion within the bounds of reason should be flipped around. It should be reason within the bounds of religion. He said, if you can only know by reason, you're kind of a crude individual. You only have one way of knowing things. It's a bit like science. If you say, science is fabulous, don't get me wrong, it's a false antithesis, but that you can only know things one way and that the universe ends at our ability to measure it, really? Does it really? You know? I mean, that's just a crude way of going... I would rather look at a Van Gogh, you know? There's more way of, um, you know, understanding the world there, perhaps, than just by measurement. So anyway, a lot to talk about, but it's all buried in the creed. So I kind of, by the end of the year, what I want you to do is own this, okay? So I give you this. I'm just to point number one, 23 and Me, which was what my kids want for Christmas. You know 23 and Me? Take a little swab and 
you send it in, they do your DNA, right? Which I'm a little nervous about because <clears throat> I've started not to trust the people who say, don't worry, your data is safe in the cloud. Don't worry, this will never be hacked, right? So, I mean, everything is hacked. In fact, um, I don't know if you heard, but this week, I think O'Hare goes online, somebody who knows more than I. Diego would know this kind of stuff. I think O'Hare goes online without voice communication to your airliner this week. I think it goes by digital communication. So they think it'll be more accurate if they don't talk back and forth, right? The computers will talk. Of course, what's the big problem? Just like they hacked into the first cars, what happens if somebody hacks into your airline? You know, I mean, this is a this is a real a real thing. But this is where things are moving. Non-voice communication, right? So the whole question is, we can do a lot of things. It's just like you know your pacemaker. You know, if somebody doesn't like you, you know, this is this is wasn't it Cheney who had his had his had the 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 chip taken out of his pacemaker? Was that? Do you remember that? So so people wouldn't hack into it, right? You're like, Zzzt. right? Because you can set it from the outside. What if you know? Somebody resets it to, I don't know, 3,000 beats per minute, right? I, hey, the brave new world. Okay, so, um, you know, one way to know yourself, though, and I know, I know um, actually, for you who went on the trip, Pastor Ladik just did this. He found out that he wasn't as Croatian as he thought. <laughs> the Germans are everywhere, right? So uh, he does have a, but it was interesting because he found out some things about himself or where, you know, uh, so this is one way to do it. It would be kind of interesting to know, you know, what sort of blood pumps in your veins. That's kind of fun. Another way, you know, to think about it is just kind of with the great philosophers. So we were at um, La Sagrada Familia, which is a place I was prepared to hate and is a place now where if I was had to be exiled, I'd be happy to go there and die. You know, it's Gaudi, as in things are gaudy, right? Gaudi's. Great cathedral in Spain that hasn't yet been finished. And you've seen it, right? The wobbly spires and everything. Go home and look it up. It's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. And it is surreal. We were standing outside. We had tickets to go in. And we weren't really paying attention, so we were in line. And there was a huge thunderstorm coming. And you could just see it. And everybody's kind of looking like this, and we're in line. And we're at the front of the line. And the guy's looking at our tickets. So it's Kirby and I and Arthur and Linda. And we're in line. And the guy's looking at our tickets. He said, it's... 2.45, 2.45, you can't go in until 3.30. We're like, we're dumb Americans. We didn't know. We didn't look. Plus, we're at the head of the line. Plus, that thunderstorm is coming. He's like, well, he's under an umbrella. So, um, and he sort of says, hey, you can't. Honestly, this is like the greatest thing ever. This is like Jesus walking on the water. All of a sudden, as this gets closer, there's this huge thunderclap, and the turnstile, no lie, falls down, straight down. <laughs> And I turned to God and I said, I'm a priest and this is an act of God. And he goes, you four can go in. That was just like, thank you, Jesus. And uh, I mean, it just poured on people. Anyway. Now, I can't, I can't remember if I was in there. I, can't, I must have seen this somewhere in there, but it's a, it's a phenomenal kind of place. Um, Cathedrals in general, you know, will save us when nothing else will because of the care that's put into them. You know, you have, for example, he, he was of his time, and everything is sort of crooked and off-center but skewed, but the light is fabulous. And underneath the big pillars, for example, there'll be a tortoise holding it up. He's trying to bring outside, inside, and inside, outside. And you can wander all around, and it's, it's overwhelming. If you go, go home and take a look, uh, go Google it up, take a look at it. It's just, it's the most beautiful thing. It's supposed to... But somewhere in there, and it must have been, you know, I, I had notes on my phone, 
And one of the things that I put down um, from being there is you know, the three classic questions of a philosopher. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Right? These are very, very easily theological questions too, but they are the questions of existence, you know? You know, where did I come from? So what's my origin ontology for you philosophical types? Where did I come from? What's being? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Purpose. Is life meaningful or meaningless? Why am I here? And where am I going? Now, of course, easily, you see how easily and softly the church sort of answers these questions, right? This is easy. Is that you come from your Heavenly Father who loves you? You're here to live in the image of So Paul will say, for example, imitate me like I imitate Christ. Or even the gospel this morning, the anti-imitation. Don't be a bad example for little kids. Better, better, it's better if you're dead. You know, the millstone was for treason. That's what, that, that was how you punished people for treason. People would have known what that meant. So it's, it's treasonous if you do evil and you're a bad example for kids. Why am I here? To walk in the way of Jesus, to bless others with my presence, to be a good example. Where am I going? I'm going to an eternal Eucharist with saints and angels. That's where I'm going, right? But of course, those I've given you theological answers, revealed answers. Those are not the normal answers. So I'm about at point three here. What's happening is that normally people ask these questions about themselves. The problem is, if you're flawed, you're going to get a flawed answer. This is next page. This is the dog chasing its tail. If you're a sinner, everything you touch is sinful. If you're evil, all your answers are going to be tainted by sin. I can try for myself. I can try to tell myself who I am. I can try to make it work. But any imperfection will keep me from what? And this is classic stuff. We've done this over the past couple of years. When I'm sinful, I can't see clearly with my eyes. And behind that is my intellect, right? The eye goes right as a window into my... I can't see clearly, right? I can't love the right things. Right? I, love, I love diminished things. I love creatures rather than the creator. I love evil rather than good. If I'm sinful, I can't see I can't love, and therefore I choose poorly, right? I choose to kill other people when they get in my way rather than to elevate them. I choose to disrespect people. I choose, I choose in all the wrong ways. This is why the Enlightenment Project is completely kaput. It's why it's breaking down. And frankly, this is, this accounts, you know, I didn't used to think this, but I actually do, you know. Empires do give up. I actually have begun to think, like, where should my kids move? Not because of any particular person, or, or being, but it's sort of like, um, it's it's bereft. You know, America is bereft of care about other people. And the thing is, is it can. You remember how Yugoslavia was when it blew up, right? People who had been forced to live, they were forced to live each other. So you take these tribes and you jam them together in one place. You force them to live next to each other, and they sort of move around. And but one of the, when Yugoslavia blew up, right? So the Serbs, the Croatians, the Slo- everybody's moving around, right? Bosnians. What, what happens? People who had been next door to each other for 30 years, 40 years, 20 years, went next door and shot their next door neighbor to death, right? Because you're another tribe. This is the danger of going tribal, right? This is the danger of human beings being at the center of the universe. The creed is about you're not at the center of the universe. And if you think you are, it always ends poorly. Just 
pick a time when it didn't end poorly for people or for nations. Just pick a time. You know, this great you know, statistic where there's something like 46 or 4,700 years of human history that's been written, and, you know, 4,500 years of that records wars. Just, you know, just pick a time when it's worked. You would think, you know, not after centuries, but after millennia, you would think that we would have learned our lesson by now, but we don't. And what will happen, and this is why you don't despair, if the church returns to minority status, you know, so what? We weren't ever meant to rule the world anyway. Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. And America is the new Israel, or the new Israel is the new Israel? None of that. What you're meant to do is walk in the footsteps of Jesus and come what may were in God's hands. That's what you're meant to do. Love God, serve your neighbor. That's the great commandment. We read that Friday in, at the Eucharist. Jesus, they come to Jesus. What's, what's, what's life all about? Love God. That's the great commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and people will choose or not choose. And um, community will exist among those who think that God is most important and their neighbor is second. And at best, you're third. Right? And it's going to be okay. Because at the end, you only live for so many years and then things get cashed out. We are masters of self-deception, self-interest, self-justification. We are plagued by arrogance and self-doubt, right? So what are the alternatives? So here's a reason for the creed. Last time I gave you the reason for the creed, and I'm going to try to do this each time if I can remember to hold the formula. Last time I said, here's a reason for the creed because Jesus is tender with you. He loves you and he pulls you close. Here's a reason for the creed. Jesus tells you who you are. Now hold on by telling you who he is. He doesn't just define you. This is who you are. No, he says to you, this is who I am, and you are in relationship with me. You are in community with me. Jesus tells you who you are by telling you who he is. So the relationship, this is under point five, the relationship is the revelation. The divine eternal word comes to me and speaks words that tell me, who he is and who I am. Um, Lutherans just have to get their lines right. We didn't come out of the 70s, you who have been around for a while, and every once in a while someone will come and give me, somebody of a, of a, a particular age will give me, but even young folks sometimes give me a lecture about how they don't hear about the inspired and errant word of Scripture. Well, because that's the Baptisty way to talk. I mean, that's, that's not our line. Our line isn't that, you know, we give you 95 reasons to believe that the Bible is inspired word of God, and then you agree to those 95 reasons, and you choose for the Bible, and therefore you choose for Jesus. It doesn't go Bible Jesus. Sorry, that's not how it goes. The kids we baptize in the font, it's not Bible first, it's Jesus first. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're a Lutheran, if you're a Catholic small c, if you belong to the Christian church in the tradition of the church for 2,000 years or 4,000 years, God appears, the burning bush will do it in a little bit. God appears, Emmaus will do that as well. God appears, the widow at Nain. God appears, and he tells you about himself. This is who I am. And then he always adds the great Luther part. This is who I am for you. This is who I am because I love you, right? This is who I am, and that defines then who you are. So the reason you believe scripture, the reason you believe the stories 
is not because somebody can give you 95 proofs about it. All that academic stuff is really great. The different texts, I love it. How the, you know, Ernst Bammel, Dr. Dr. Ernst Bammel, who was, you know, at Cambridge when I was there, kind of one of the connections. They said he could teach the history of the first four centuries of the church from the critical apparatus at the bottom of his New Testament. It's a bunch of little code symbols, you know. He could. That's genius. You need that, of course. But that's not the thing. It's not because Bammel can explain where the text came from. It's because Jesus has loved you directly in the font, indirectly through somebody else. Jesus has come to you and made a relationship with you, and he tells you about himself. So it doesn't go Bible Jesus, it goes Jesus Bible, just in case you're curious. Which is why it's pointless to make all kinds of arguments about the inerrant inspired word of Scripture. Here's what it means, just so you know. It means that when Jesus decided to talk... He got everything written down for us that he wanted us to hear. And he gave that to the church, and the church passes it on. Yes, sometimes people got a question mark where there should have been a period, and they weren't paying attention. They were watching ESPN, and they you know, got a verb, and it should have been a noun. And Yes, of course, that, and you have to do all of that work. But the story goes like this. It's, 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 the, it's Islam that says a book fell down from heaven. That is not the Christian line. The Christian line is that Jesus fell down from heaven. That's Christmas. Okay, that's the Christian line. First, the word of God incarnate. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became living flesh, verse 1, John 1, and 14, and he tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes and has a relationship with you that looks startlingly simple, Hey, I really love you. And if you want to know where you came from and what you're here for and where you're going, I got a church that will tell you all of that, and that's the church's job. Now, just sidebar, which is the reason why churches that spend all their time talking about money, for example, that's why they get off track, because the money is the presumed thing. Everybody assumed that you were going to tithe and give alms. We're just trying to get everybody up to speed. Everybody presumed that. You can't do that, right? When Moses says build the tabernacle, he's like, hey, this is just what we do, right? When you give to the poor, it's just what you do, right? Because Jesus has a relationship with you. You have a relationship with other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is easy if you get the order right. If you do not get the order right, you're always arguing about things that don't matter most, okay? So the relationship is the revelation. The divine eternal word comes to me and speaks words that tell me, who he is, and who I am. Turn for a moment, if you would, to Luke 24, Emmaus. Okay. You know this text. Um, I, was, I was so... Uh, one of the reasons I was happy to see John Kleinig is, is uh, you know, we talk about... I can talk about stuff that I'm, I don't talk with a lot about other people, but I said, I really think Emmaus is a Eucharist. There are some Lutherans who don't believe it's a Eucharist. Some Lutherans I like a lot who say it's not a Eucharist. I'm like... I'm sure that that's a Eucharist, and I'm sure that Acts 2 is a Eucharist. He's like, of course it is. And he said, why would you say it wouldn't? I said, well, because I know some guys who did. He said, everybody thinks that's a Eucharist. He said, I teach that everywhere I go in America. I said, well, it's you, me, and Arthur Just. So, you know, if we're going to pick up sides, we probably have to get some more guys. But, uh, you know, I mean, here's Emmaus. Now, I'm just going to tell you so I can read this quickly because I don't want to spend all the time here. This is the liturgy. When you say, why should a church have the liturgy? 
The answer is Emmaus. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. We'll zip through this because you've read it so often. But here's what happens. They're on a pilgrimage going from, oh, I don't know, the Garden of Eden back home to heaven. They're on a pilgrimage. They're walking. This is all, like, this is, your bell should go off. The children of Israel were on a pilgrimage, right? Um, you know, the disciples are on a pilgrimage. You're on a pilgrimage. So they're walking, they're walking. Who am I? Where did I come from? What does it mean? What do they say? They're like, they say to Jesus, are you the, and the word they use there is alien, like space alien. Are you the only alien who doesn't know what's going on? We're completely destroyed. Where did I come from? I have no idea. What does my life mean? It doesn't mean anything today. Where am I going? Probably to death, right? So what does Jesus do? He walks with them, you know, kind of like where you walk through the door at the church. And then he pauses and he explains the scriptures to them, like what happens at the lectern and the, and, and, and the pulpit. And then he breaks bread. And in the Eucharist, in the breaking of the bread, Jesus is revealed. They have a relationship with Jesus. If you get Henry Nouwen's stuff in the morning, it just happened this morning, 5 o'clock, I'm reading it. He's saying... Having a meal with somebody is the most human element of all things. It's the most human action of all things. These humble elements of bread and wine. Having a meal, he said, but what happens in a meal is that you share not just your food, but share yourselves. And then he says, you know, of the Eucharist, how much more? Jesus combines the human and the divine. He didn't say, but probably says somewhere, just like his two natures are combined, right? So what happens, this is the structure of the liturgy. You come, you walk with Jesus, Jesus explains himself to you, Jesus pulls you into relationship with him, Jesus gives you the Eucharist, your eyes are open, your heart's bubbling in you, and you rush back to tell other people, why is this so hard? I can't understand why this is so hard for the church, except if we don't really believe it. And if we don't really believe it, it's because we haven't cared for the relationship. And if we didn't care for the relationship, it's because we think we're something other than we are in the arms of Jesus. We think that we can make it on our own. We think the world is ours to decide. At some point, friends, you just choose, right? So at some point, you just choose and you just do. I mean, you're gonna, you get to a particular age and you sort of say, I mean, you can look back and you can say, I either did this every day or I didn't. And if you did it every day, your life looks one way. And if you didn't do it every way, your life doesn't look that way. And here's, and here's the pain point. You can begin to imagine at successive ages, 30, 40, 50, 60, if I didn't do this, my life is poor for it. It's not that the Lord sweeps down and punishes you because you were never generous or you never read your Bible, you never said your prayers. It's just that you suffered a lot that you wouldn't have had to suffer because you couldn't flip and pay attention, because you couldn't follow directions, because Jesus is saying, it's this way to Emmaus, and you know we're wandering over there someplace. Or he says, you know, I'll reveal myself in the Eucharist, and you say, twice a year, that'll be fabulous, right? I mean, seriously, how could page five ever get in for a Sunday? I mean, I love, even my wife wants to do page five, but is it page five? The, I, I know you do, but I love you, but some, <laughs> things we, some things we have to talk about at home. I can't remember which one has the Eucharist. Has the five or 15? Which one has the Eucharist? 14. 14 has the Eucharist, so page five. You have to come on Tuesday if you want page five. She'll never come on Tuesday. It's going to be great. Okay, so um, anyway, the point of all this is, um, you know, just, just sort of look at this. This is, this is um, 24, right? 
So just to kind of scooch through this, just starting 13, I don't want to spend so much time on all this because these two guys are going to Emmaus. This is Luke 24, uh, in a verse that's too small in this study Bible for me to read. What is it, 15? What, 13? What the heck, man? Whose fault is this? There must be somebody to blame, Donna. You know, that I can't read this must lie with the printer. Um, they're going to the village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles. They're talking. Jesus comes up. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him because Jesus hasn't created the relationship with them yet. Jesus hasn't chosen to open them. The gospel is what God does to you for your good. He will, but just be patient, friends. What are you talking about, right? So, I mean, we can say the same thing to you when you wander in the door. What are you talking about? What are you thinking about? It's kind of fun at being a pastor at the door because people just now, we're used to this now, so people just pour out. There's no sort of like, um, hey, how you, it's like, my mom is sick, you know, somebody came through this heart surgery, okay, I've lost my job, my kids, you know. I, it just, it just, it's like, it's great, right? There's this conversation about, um, you know, what's going on? Are you the only alien in Jerusalem who doesn't know all the things that happened? He, Jesus, what things? The straight man, what things? And they began to tell him, we thought Jesus was the guy, he was the prophet. We thought, you know, all our kids would come to church and there wouldn't really be a war in Vietnam and life would go well and America would pay attention and realize how blessed they were and, 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 right? Right? I mean, it's just one story is like another. Concerning Jesus, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, chief priests, rulers, condemned him to death, crucified him. How is that different from us? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem. And besides, it's the third day, and these crazy women said, he's not there. And they saw angels, and there is no body. And what's going on here? And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that I've revealed through my prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Please don't be, don't be silly, right? Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Beginning with Moses and the prophets. So now we're all the way to the lectern. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. That's why you have an Old Testament epistle and a gospel. You have an Old Testament that speaks about the Messiah to come. You have a gospel that tells you about what the Messiah did that was here. And you have an epistle that tells you how the first Christians worked out the kinks, pointing back to Jesus and pointing forward to their life together, right? So they drew near to the village. He acted like he was going farther. He gave him a little <coughs> head fake, right? A uh, little Steph Curry, like over the line, pulls back. They urged him saying, shoot, stay with us. It's toward evening. The day is far spent. You remember that's how, stay with us, Lord, for it's evening and the day is far gone. You remember that's how evening prayer starts? Stole right out of here. It's so great. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. I'm just telling you, if you want your eyes open, go to the Eucharist. This is why our goal, I mean, I've said this to you, my goal is to commune every person in the world at the Eucharist. That's my goal. That's got to be a pastor's goal. The pastor's goal is to commune every person on Jesus' terms, of course. We just have to make sure that we're not more religious than Jesus. Right? That we, you know, we block people who really need it because this is the place where eyes are open. I'm communing kids this morning. I mean, how about the kids <coughs> playing the cellos this morning? 
You know, those were all kids. They were all under seventh grade, I think, right? Probably Drake was the oldest one. Did Drake play today? You Strutzel types? Did Drake play? They think it was, I mean, it was genius, you know? But I think of those kids as we're communing those kids, and I think, well, somebody else is putting something else into them all week long. We've got to put the body and blood into them here. I mean, if you don't think kids should be communed, you've got to get with that because what kids face at such a young age, I mean, you know, one of the great problems is kids have 24 hours a day access to pornography from a very young age, right? Because I can remember when we bought our first Apple products, I said, how do we lock these down for, so our kids don't see stuff? They were completely unconcerned. They're like, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. I'm like, really? I'm getting moral advice from a 27-year-old Apple genius about how to raise my kids? It's going to just be fine? Actually, you need to have about nine kids. You'll find out it's not going to be just fine if you turn them loose, right? So, um, you know, anyway, their eyes are open. They recognize him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while they talked to us on the road? And there it is, while he opened to us the scriptures. See, the scriptures they didn't understand until, first, it, was, it wasn't the scriptures and then Jesus. That didn't do them any good. It was Jesus and then the scriptures. Right? This is, this is how it works. And they rose at that hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven. They said, the Lord is risen. He appeared to Simon. Then they told him what happened to them too and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You just can't live without the Eucharist. It's the center of the world, right? So I'm at the bottom of number six. In this, they recognize him. And what they recognize, this is the big drum roll, is that his story is their story. That's the point. When Jesus tells a story, he tells you because it's your story. You have to remember that there's tons of things that Jesus knows that you don't know. There's tons of things, an infinite amount of things that God knows that you don't know. Things went bad in the Garden of Eden when human beings tried to know beyond their bounds, beyond their capacity. Don't eat from that. When you eat from that, you'll learn things beyond your capacity. It will destroy you. Right? It's one of the problems that's going on there. There are other problems as well, of course. But you're not gods. I am not a god. I cannot bear, right, all the things that God has to tell. So what does God do? It's like, it's like a father with a child or a mother with a child. You tell your kids what they need to know at every point in their life for them to flourish. You know, kids don't need to know, you know, at seven what they need to know at 17, right? So you, um, you, you sort of have to think this through. Now, of course, we're not disadvantaged. I'm at the top of the next page. You have the Eucharist every day. You come to the Eucharist every day. So um, I realize now, and I'll just finish with this today. I realize now that this is to give yourself to somebody else. But, you know, it's the old C.S. Lewis quote. You don't have to give yourself to somebody else. In fact, you can go through your life like a rock. The minute you have a relationship, and worse, the minute that you love, you are vulnerable to being broken. To love somebody is to risk pain, right? As Jesus knows all too well on the cross when he risked pain for you. I mean, you can move through life and you can say, I will figure it out for myself. And you can say, I'll be a one-off. And you can even collect some other one-offs and you can call it a community if you want. But that's not what a community is. A community is built from divine love. 
And, you know, the whole notion of putting yourself under somebody else's care, I'm always stunned by how many people, it still happens. You know, once a month somebody is going to the doctor, going in for heart surgery or, you know, going for lung surgery, and they, they, they lead with, and then I told the doctor, well, you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that. And I always, I always ask, and I'm like, so I said, what if the doctor gives you, you know, two checklists? So it would be like the normal doctor checklist and then your checklist. I'm like, really, which one do you think he should follow? Which checklist do you think will have the better outcome? The one you got from Google and Wikipedia or the one that he got in medical school, right? I mean, in some, in some way, you're just, it's like, a, you know, if you, have a, if you have an attorney and you don't follow their advice, you try to represent yourself in court, you know? You just, you know, unless you know the rules of the game, you're going to get, and even if you do, you're going to get, you know, derailed by your self-interest. Well, why is this part of life any different? So in some sense, you do give yourself to authority, but you have to understand authority as a gospel-y word. Jesus, who knows more, is more than you, comes to you and loves you and said, hey, I'd like to bring you home with me. And along the way, by the way, we can have some fun. It's going to be great. In this very horrible world, right here in these two square blocks, you can have a little bit of heaven on earth if you'll just gather around the Eucharist and remember where you came from and forgive each other seven times a day and work from love and not from hate and love God and love your neighbor and then come back and do it all again tomorrow, right? You can try the other way, but the Enlightenment project and the postmodern project is not that much better. The last 300 years where we basically said these are our problems and we don't need a God, how's it working out? Because I can't see that we're master of nature, master of genocide, master of war, master of race relations, master of politics, master of borders, master of economics, master of psychology, master of medicine, master of nothing, right? <clears throat> We're not gods. Don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by somebody you think is trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there's such a place as New York. I've not seen it myself. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people told me it's so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, Adam's evolution, and the circulation of the blood on authority because scientists say so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us has seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove by pure logic as you prove a thing in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that tell us about them, in fact, on authority. A man who jibed authority and other things as some people do in religion would have to be content to know nothing all his life, right? And of course the world, especially the social media world, is about knowing everything all the time. So um, here's the thing. This is the reason for the creed. Jesus tells you about yourself by telling you about Jesus draws you into a relationship, and when he draws you into a relationship, you learn not just about him, where you came from, your Heavenly Father who loves you. You learn about why your life matters because Christ redeemed you and has given you to love other people and to love God. And if you do, 
your life will be of a particular quality, a divine quality, which will be unrecognizable to other people. And then someday when you die in grace by faith, you will take your death as moving across a threshold to be fully human, to be what you were always meant to be in yourself and in community with saints and angels. That's what it means. This is what life was always meant to be. The fall derailed us. Jesus is here to bring you back. Jesus is tender with us. And Jesus tells us who we are by pulling us near. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.